Hello, and welcome to Life on Maine, a daily podcast of Life on Maine in Charlestown, New Hampshire, where we discuss living life on the main purpose as designed by God. I am Pastor Tim Golden, and on these podcasts, we focus on growing in relationship with God, maturing in the faith through His Word, stewarding our relationships with one another, as well as learning to make disciples as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each day highlights one of these facets of spiritual character, growth, and stewardship, so be sure to come back each day to grow a strong and healthy walk with the Lord. Now, let's see what the Holy Spirit wants to show us today. Well, if you'll join with me uh, by opening up your Bibles, we are going to be in Colossians chapter 3. But you may also want to go and put your finger in, well, actually, you probably don't even need to put your finger, because it's only a couple pages the other way, right? We'll also be in Colossians chapter 1 today, but we are, then there will be there are a number of other verses. But those will be the two primary areas, Colossians 3, and then back a couple pages to Colossians 1. Let's start at verse number one, and we're going to be through the first 12 verses of Colossians 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And we kind of heard about this a little bit during the responsive. Things like sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now... You must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Lord, as we dig into your word today, as we begin to look more at what it is to live out this Jesus experience, Lord, would you have your way in our time, and would you conform us, Lord, to your likeness, in Jesus' name, amen. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above and set your mind on things above. And why set your heart and mind on things above? Because that's where Christ is, see the right hand of God. What does that imply to us? He's got all authority. You know, he has all power. You see, when, even in this world, there's something important that we have to come, come to realize. And that is, what do you own the rights to? Nothing. Right? I mean, if, if you live in a house, you might have a deed. 
If you have a car, you may have a title on that, right? And those things show that you own the right to possess those things, does it not? As well as many other things. You might have, if you're in another country, something called a passport or a visa, which gives you the rights, right, to, to be able to be there and do business. And so it's important for us as we begin to look at this concept of the Jesus experience, as we talked about last week, as we, we mentioned that Jesus, by shedding his own blood, has provided himself as a fleece for us, correct? And, and that we have put on Christ. In fact, it refers to that a little bit here in this passage that we just read. And that in so doing, we have now been accepted into God's family. Because remember, we talked about the sheep. You know, if a, if a sheep has lost its parent and it gets introduced to another mother, it's butted away unless the fleece of that mother's young one has been placed on it. And then the mother will smell that scent and will accept it as one of her own. And by putting on Christ, we can be accepted by God. Amen? Amen. It's not that we're trying to manipulate him or confuse him like you would be with a, with a natural sheep. But, but it's the principle that as we put Christ on, we can be accepted by God. And that he then works on our hearts, right? We talked about that a little bit last week as well. That it's not just about putting this on and just remaining our same old self on the inside. That lamp that now has become part of that family now has a responsibility, if you will, to walk as a member of that family. And we have, again, already heard about that in the responsive reading as well as this passage here today. But you might be asking yourself, but why should I bother? I mean, this Jesus experience, is it really necessary? Why can't I just go about living my own life? Why can't I just go doing things the ways I've always done? Why must I take on this Jesus experience? Isn't it enough just to be able to go to church just so I can feel good like I've been doing my part. And I'm here to tell you, no. Right? No, that's not enough. That is not what it's about. It's about being adopted into a family and, and assuming the family identity. And it's understanding this very fact. The Jesus experience is we, we must choose it. You know, that there is an aspect that we've got to make that choice. But do we understand that the reason we need to make that choice is because he owns the rights to us. He purchased the deed. He purchased the title. You know, this car is not its own. <laughs> right? This house is not its own. It is owned by another. And is there to do what? Serve another. How many of you would like, if you got in your car, when we go to leave here, and all of a sudden your car decided to take you somewhere else, you did not plan on going. <laughs> like smack dab into the middle of the Connecticut River, right? I mean, we wouldn't want that, would we? We expect when we get in our cars, we turn on the keys, we own that thing, it will go where we want it to go. And the homes that you might own, or, or the apartments that you may be renting, that, that you hold a lease or something like that, you expect it to serve you, do you not? And same thing with God. He owns the rights to us. When we name the name of Christ, we choose to accept him. But you know what? He technically owns the rights whether you accept him or not. 
Because there's coming a day when it tells us we will all stand before the throne of God and we will be judged. We'll either be judged as his children regarding the things that we've done for him and be rewarded accordingly, or we will be judged with wrath and righteous judgment if we have not named his name. Why? Because he has the right to do that, whether you accept him or not, because he made us. We're going to get a little bit more into that. I want to draw your attention to a story that was um, published in Parade Magazine back about uh, 13 years ago. It was in July of 2009, and the article was entitled, The Race for the Secret of the Universe. It focused on something called Fermilab, which is a four-mile round particle accelerator that resides west of Chicago, Illinois. The scientists gathered there are searching for the ever-elusive Higgs boson, also known as, quote, the God particle. The article explains it a little bit more. It says this, physicists believe that this special subatomic particle allows all of the other particles in the universe to have mass and come together to form, well, basically everything around us. According to one Fermilab theorist, without so-called God particles, atoms would have no integrity, so there would be no chemical bonding, no stable structures, no liquids or solids, and of course, no physicists and no reporters, as you told the report. While it's certainly possible that God built such a tiny particle into the deepest part of his creation, it isn't the God particle. The God particle that holds all things together actually is known as the God person, Jesus Christ. Consider what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. He says this, Christ brings unity to all things in heaven and on earth. He also said over in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, For in Christ all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And of course we know John 1, 3 says, Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. And that was referring to Christ. As it goes on later, it mentions that the word became flesh. Right? He has created all things. Turn with me back a few pages to Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to look a little bit at that. Because just as we read here in Colossians 3, that we have been raised with Christ. Who raised us? It wasn't us. We were raised with Christ by God as we accepted his son. But then in verse 4, sorry, back in chapter 3, it says this, when Christ, who is your life, he is the very reason that you breathe, he is the very reason that you exist. You do not have a life without him. Amen. And on that grounds alone, 
is why he owns the rights to us. But then, did you notice that even a little bit later down there in that chapter 3, as we look down at the end near verse 11, it tells us what? That Christ is all, and Christ is in all. Stating again his sovereignty. And then verse 12, it said, we are his chosen people. He chose us. Now, yes, we have to choose to accept him. You know, it's not like God has sat up there and said, okay, I'm going to save you, and I'm not going to save you. That's not what it's saying. Okay? Anyone, it tells us in Scripture, who names the name of Christ, who calls on the name of the Lord, and accepts the blood of his Son, he will be saved. Period. You have to make a choice. But do you understand that God chose you first? And then we still have to make a choice. Everyone has actually been chosen of God, but if we don't choose Him, we're destined for hell. But He has chosen us from the beginning of time to be His people. Question is, are we? Or are we just trying to live for ourselves? Are we just trying to have the blood of Christ and, and, and have the joys of just knowing we won't go to hell, but still trying to live life on our terms? Or are we living like he actually owns the rights to us, which he does? Okay, back over to Colossians chapter 1, okay? You get your page, your page exercise, finger exercises in 10. Colossians 1, verse 15 to 19, we're going to focus on a little bit. Because if we are going to understand why we need to concern ourselves with living out the Jesus experience, we need to understand who he really is. And do we understand that in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it lets us know this. Jesus is superior in everything. Because it tells us there that he is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. Now, he was before time. He is the Alpha and the Omega. Okay? But what this is getting at is he is God. He holds the same authority as the Father. God is manifested in three forms, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus resides in unity with them. He is superior in everything as being God. But he is also, we see in the next verse, superior in creation. Verse 16, for by him, and we already read this, by him all things, how many things? All. all. That are in heaven and on earth. So not just the things you see, but the things that we will be taking a part of when we go home to be with him. The things that are visible and invisible. Even if it's some subatomic particle. Whether they be thrones dominions or principalities or powers even. So it's not even just talking about inanimate objects. This is talking about those things that actually exist. Things like angels and fallen angels who eventually became what we know as demons, even including us. All things were created by him and for him. So it's not just that he created them and then just kind of gave them away. He created them for himself. He owns the rights. Jesus is also superior in order. Verse 17 tells us this. He is where? 
before all things. And by him, all things consist. He was before everything existed. But then it tells us in the second half that he's not only superior in the order of things, he's also superior in power. He's before all things, and by him, all things exist or consist. Okay? He has created all things, he has energized all things, he has breathed life into people like you and me. He holds power beyond our wildest imagination. Jesus is also superior in position. It shows us in verse 18 by telling us this. He is the head of the body, the church. Now what does that mean? He rules. He is the head. We think of that in terms of he rules, right? You have the head of an organization, the head of a committee, right? They're the ones that kind of call the shots. But really what this word is getting at, and yes, it encompasses that, but if you think about, he is referring to this, the head of what? The body. Do you understand that without your head, you're dead? The <laughs> pure and simple. Without your head, you're dead. Your head is what gives the instructions to everything else in your body of what to do. You take that away from the body, the rest will cease to exist. The head is synonymous with life itself. In fact, we read that again back in chapter 3, didn't we? That he, has, he is actually the source of our life. And so that is what this is holding. Not just that he is superior, not just that he is over and above all things, but he is actually the one that brings life to everything. Everything that we can possibly do on our own is useless and is lifeless by itself. Only Jesus brings life into it. Jesus is also superior in something known as the resurrection. Verse 18, the second half of that, after it says that he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, and then it says what? The firstborn of the dead. Now, the first one that was raised to life eternal. And because he exercised victory over not just sin at the crucifixion, but over death, hell, and the grave at the resurrection, we also have been assured that we will live with him. Right? If you die with him, you will live with him, Scripture tells us. And if he can conquer the very aspects of death itself, how big are the issues that you're going through? I mean, really, if you have somebody that can literally kill death, there's no power greater than that. And this is the power that when we choose to follow Christ, we choose to come in submission underneath. Not only has he killed death, he has promised us life in John chapter 10. So he's superior in resurrection. He is also superior, you could say, in content. Verse 19, for it pleased the Father that in him, being Jesus, all fullness shall dwell. Fullness of what? 
Yes. Right? Fullness of everything that is right, of everything that is holy, of everything that is life-giving. He is the personification of that. Henceforth, why he is all and is in all, like it said in Colossians 3.11. And again, this brings us back to that very first verse of Colossians 3, of understanding that he is our very life. In these things, in these things alone, are reason why we need to live the Christian experience on his terms. Yes. Because he truly does deserve all that we are. And on that grounds alone deserves our worship. On that grounds alone deserves our praise. No matter what kind of God he is. Ow. Mm. Even if he was a terrible God, the fact that he gave you life and you have no existence apart from him and the fact that he would hold all power, he would still on that grounds alone deserve worship. But aren't you glad he's not a meanie God? Amen. He is a loving God. In fact, he is a God who promised us in John chapter 10, verse 10, coming from the words of Christ himself, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it abundantly or to the fullness. In other words, now hold it. Jesus is the fullness. So do you understand what it's saying here? I have come that they might have life and that they may have everything that I've got. Wow. That's the kind of God we serve. He doesn't only own the rights and deserve the rights. He wants to lavish on you love and joy and peace and comfort that cannot be explained. Yes. He wants the best for you. He owns the right to govern our existence in Christian experience, but it's not something we need to fear. Do you understand that? So why so many times are we afraid to follow him? Usually just because we don't know where he's leading. But you know what? If he is all powerful, if he is all knowing, and if he has got our back on all things, and now you add to that equation that he loves us and wants to give us life abundant, who cares where it leads? Because it's going to be good if we truly believe he is who he says he is. I want to tell you about a man. You may have heard of him. At least if you're into baseball at all. His name was Albert Pujols. He's the first base, was the first baseman for the St. Louis Cardinals. He's a World Series champ, an eight-time All-Star, and the recipient of three National League MVP, that means Most Valuable Player, awards. And according to a 2008 poll of 30 Major League Baseball managers, he was the most feared hitter in the sport. But even more impressive than his many accolades was his life off the field. The Pujols Family Foundation he started offers support and care to people with Down syndrome and their families, while also helping the poor in the Dominican Republic. He and his wife provide loving household uh, to four kids. But most importantly than all of this, 
He is a passionate disciple of Jesus Christ. While speaking at an event at Lafayette Senior High School in Missouri, yes, in an American high school, public school, Pujols told the audience of men and young boys this, and I quote, As a Christian, I am called to live a holy life. My standard for living is set by God, not by the world. I am responsible for growing and sharing the gospel. Then after reading Paul's words in Philippians 2, 3, where it says, do not do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility considered others better than yourselves. Remember that passage? Pujols then told the crowd, one way for me to stay satisfied in Jesus is for me to stay humble. Humility is getting on your knees and staying in God's will. What he wants for me not what the world wants. He added to this, it would be easy to go out and do whatever I want, but these things only satisfy the flesh for a moment. Jesus satisfies my soul forever. Amen. This is a man who, according to the world standards, has it all. Don't believe me, just look at the average salary of a major league baseball player. He could go out and buy anything he wanted, but when all said and done, his call was, you could almost say, was a present-day Solomon. I have all, but I've learned one thing. Jesus is all that matters. In order for us to experience what Jesus calls the life abundant to be ours, we must come to a full revelation as to what the Jesus experience, this living the life of a disciple, really means or really entails. We must come to the full understanding that the very life we have comes from Christ. John 5.25 says this, Truly, truly, now how many know that every time Jesus repeats himself, it means listen up. There you go. Pay attention because this is important. Truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear, catch that, they that hear shall live. If we choose to name the life of Christ, only then will we truly live and get have the eternal life. Okay? Our very life comes from Christ. You might be sitting here eating and breathing and doing whatever else, but the truth is. There's going to come a day we're all going to be our last. What happens then? Only if we name the name of Christ are we promised that our life continues and will not end in destruction. But not only does we, do we need to understand that our life comes from Christ, we need to understand our life is actually in Christ. It's actually hidden in Him. Romans 8, chapter Chapter 8, verse 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. God did not send his Son to keep us in some sort of bondage of all the thou shalts and thou shalt nots. He came that we might have life and have it to the full. He did not come to condemn. He did not just come to save us from our sins. He came to bring life. He didn't just want to breathe life into you. He wanted to actually give you life. 
And our life is in Him. Understanding that apart from Him, there is no life. So not only does our life come from Christ, but not only is our life in Christ, we also must understand that our life has got to be with Christ. In a living partnership. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9 says this, God is faithful. Now, we could just have that, and that would have been enough of a sermon, just in those three words, wouldn't it? God is faithful in all things. But God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Have you really been able to wrestle down the concept that you are actually in fellowship with that, with the one who's created everything that is? The one that holds the very existence of this world in the palm of his hands? Mm. That out of all this stuff, he wants to hang out with people like you and me? Amen. Old Bill Gaither's song I used to love from years ago, How Big Is God? Right? Anyone remember that one? Or am I the only old one? Okay. So, but it's like, how big is God? How big and wide is vast domain? Um, he's trying to tell these lips could only start. Exactly. He's big enough to rule this mighty universe, yet small enough to live in my heart. Would you repeat that last slide? He's big enough to rule this mighty universe, but small enough to live in my heart. Big enough to rule the mighty universe, but small enough to live in the heart. And desiring to live within the heart. The one who created everything that is, I mean, comparatively, this is a small thing compared to the universe. I know that's hard for some of you to probably believe, right? But this being of mine is so tiny. I mean, you look at our planet alone in light of the entire universe, you just go out to the edge of our solar system, we can't even see this planet. Yeah. And then with these little specks on that planet, and in light of eternity, we're only here like a vapor, the scripture tells us. Yeah. Very easy to forget about something like us. How many of you are really passionate when you have to kill a fly in the summer? <laughs> Most of us are, right? And we don't give it a second thought. An average fly lives about five days. And they're just an annoyance. Why did they even make that? That's one of my questions for Jesus when I get to heaven. Why did you even make those things? You know? But I'm sure you have reasons. But the thing is, we don't give it the time of day. How much less are we when you think about eternity past to eternity future and the length of our time on this planet? How insignificant are we really? But to God, he says, not insignificant at all. Because not only do I know you, not only do I have fellowship with you, I actually count the hairs on your head. That's right. And I care about every one of them. He mourns every time I lose another hair. Poor guy. Right? He rejoices whenever anybody comes into the kingdom. I'm pretty sure he mourns over a head, ever, over everything. I have nothing publicly, of course, to base that on. Just a thought. But do you understand that this very God wants to live life with you? He wants to live your joys with you. He wants to live your hardships with you. Just because he wants to be with you. And he wants to do ministry. He wants to win the lost with you. Amen. 
Our life comes from him, it's in him, it's with him, but our life is also to Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.15 And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him who died for them and rose again. Who didn't only pay the price, who didn't only show the ultimate love, but also show the ultimate power and authority that he has so that he can then choose to reach us and to touch us and to bless his children and to bless any that will call upon his name. Now, I'm not saying we're not going to have hardships. We all know that we do. But he loves us and he is with us just the same. And then lastly, Galatians chapter 2.20 shows us that we need to understand that our life has got to be for Christ. I am crucified with Christ, Paul said. What does that imply? I no longer die. I no longer breathe. Right? I am crucified with Christ. Christ's crucifixion represented the dying of his own will for the will of the Father. Not just the salvation of your sins. Right? The Garden of Gethsemane. I wish there'd be another way, but God, if there's not, let your will be done. And he went to be crucified. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I'm still breathing. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, in the flesh, I live by faith on the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul understood that his life was not his own anymore. The mere fact of who he is and everything that he did for him, but apart, but in addition to that, everything that he wanted to pour into Paul deserved Paul's very life. Paul was basically saying, I don't even want to live for myself anymore. Why would I? When I'm in an intimate relationship with God, just like when you come into a, into a relationship with you know, someone of the opposite sex, you know, and, and that love develops. What do you want to do? You want to live for that person. You, you want to please that person. You, you want to, you know, you want your life to never be separated from that one. Let me ask you a question. Do you have that kind of passion for Jesus? Because that's what he desires. We mentioned last week that the church, God's coming back for. To come back to get, Jesus is coming back to get his bride. But we kind of made a little bit of a joke saying, but bride's still in curlers, right? And so we need to get, we need to get with the program, right? We need to get ready because he wants us with him. He's tired of being separate. I mean, he's with us, yes, through his Holy Spirit. But do you understand that Jesus himself is not here in this room? And we, we use that phrase, oh, Jesus is here. And I'm not trying to, you know, Say that's heresy. But the truth is, we know Jesus is actually at the right hand of the Father. That's right. He went there 2,000 years ago. And he said, well, even to his disciples, unless I go, I can't send the Comforter. I can't send the Holy Spirit to you. He is still here in the, you know, through the Holy Spirit in a sense, because of the oneness that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have. But Jesus is not the one who's here. The Holy Spirit is. And he is the one dwelling with us. He's the one walking with us. He's the one guiding us. But do you understand that Jesus, who rose from the dead and went to be with his father 2,000 years ago, is sick and tired of being separated from his bride? Amen. He's like, enough's enough already. Mm. I want to be united with her. Right? Are we ready 
to let him do that. We've got to be the church he wants us to be for that to happen. Amen? Amen. So are you ready to be that? I mean, are you really ready to take on the Jesus experience at a whole new level? Not just to live the life of a disciple because I have to, but you're passionate about it and you don't want anything else. But that's me. I don't know about you. Amen? So let's just bow for a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you today. We thank you that you are alive and well. We thank you that you do not even call us to walk this Jesus experience alone. You have come to walk it with us. And Lord, you want fellowship with us. Lord, help us as we continue to look into this aspect of walking your walk to allow you to work through us and work in us the way that you desire to. And help us to receive it on all levels. And God, we give you honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to thank you for tuning into today's broadcast. We pray that it was beneficial for you. Be sure to tune in tomorrow for another episode of Life on Main. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website at lifeonmain.org. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash lifeonmain, where you can learn about upcoming events and find links to videos of these broadcasts and sermons. You can also view our sermons on our YouTube channel at bit.ly slash lifeonmain with each of those words capitalized. Thanks for listening to Life on Main and may God bless you.